Well, good morning again. Anybody that came in after uh, we started the gathering, welcome you as well. I'm glad to have you with us this morning. And uh, I want to bring to your attention, as always, um, we're still not passing the plate right now because of COVID things that are going on, but if you would like to give to the Ministry of Homes, or if you would like to give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, you can do those through uh, our online platform or in person. You can do that on the way out this morning to one of the ushers, or you can give by what you see there on the screen via the QR code, texting to give, or giving at homesavenue.com forward slash give. Uh, but if this is your first time with us in a, uh, ever or in a while, we have been, as I said a few moments ago, journeying through this Advent series, A Weary World Rejoices. And we are on this third week of this Advent series leading up to Christmas. And we're looking at these Old Testament prophecies and how they are fulfilled in the New Testament. <clears throat> And so today's message is entitled, A Weary World Needs Peace. A Weary World Needs Peace. I think that's an understatement, is it not? Our weary world that we live in daily, the things that we see take place on a television, things that we hear on the radio, things that we see on social media, our world desperately needs peace doesn't need just peace from uh, little temporal things that maybe we run to or cling to that would maybe give us joy for a moment, but then the pain comes back. It doesn't need uh, some quick solution. It needs the eternal peace that only God can provide through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so that's why today we are continuing the series and we're looking at this idea of peace and the fact that the world needs it. We see constantly on our televisions racial, political divides. We see just how broken our cities are, our our communities are. Uh, Just uh, last week, uh, I wasn't here last Sunday because Miranda and I were gone for our anniversary. And in doing so, we went to New York City and we're walking through the streets of New York City. And I remember standing in Times Square at one point and I looked at her and I said, can you feel that? She's like, feel what? And I said, you just feel the, the, the presence of evil. And it's just, it, it was just obvious around us. And then as we're walking the streets, you, you see that uh, things that, are, that, are, that blows your mind that are legal, like marijuana is a legal thing that you can just have for recreational purposes there. And there's shops everywhere, and there's people that are walking on the street offering you to buy this from them right then and there. And I'm like, if, if we did this back home, I'd be arrested in a heartbeat. And it's just, it's mind-blowing the things that are going on. But the reality is that's just not the one thing that's happening in one place in our country or in our globe. The reality is that's happening all around us because sin is running rampant in our world and people desperately need the eternal peace of God through Christ Jesus. People turn to things to satisfy that peace, as I said, whether it be a wide variety of things, whether it be drugs, alcohol, sex, it could be anything even things that they want to have just for earthly pleasures for the sake of having them. I want to have all this money so that I can buy all these nice things, when in reality, what happens to those nice things when we're dead and gone? They're usually passed on to somebody else who doesn't really see the value in what we have and given away or they're sold. All this to say is there needs to be something that satisfies the brokenness that every man faces, every man, woman, and child faces. And that can only be filled by Jesus Christ. 
God knew the effects of our sin and the desperate need for peace in our lives. So that is why he sent Jesus in the form of a newborn baby to live a perfect sinless life, to go to a cross, to die for the sins of the world. Now, we've already read our passages at the beginning of our gathering today, so I'm going to jump right in. But first, I would like to pray for us, so if you would, please join me in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we have honored you with our lips this morning, crying out these songs of worship to you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that if we are in Christ, we have the beautiful hope and reminder of eternal peace with you. We have the beautiful peace and promise that death will not hold us. The grave will not keep us because the grave did not keep you. Lord, we now pray as we move forward, Lord, that the meditations of my heart and my, the words of my mouth would be pleasing unto you. God, that you would have your way in our gathering, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So in our passage today, very simply, we're going to see that the eternal peace of God is only made available through Christ Jesus. It's the whole purpose of why he came. We see in the the first passage that I read earlier from Isaiah chapter 9, we see Isaiah point out the fact that in this coming invasion of the Assyrians, which is in chapter 8, I'm giving you some context of why he writes what he writes in chapter 9. We see this coming invasion of the Assyrians and all those God's people sinned against him. Although the Assyrian army would come about, God would not allow his people to be taken down. We see, as Debbie literally just said during her prayer, we see there in chapter 8, verse 8 of Isaiah, he says, O Emmanuel, which means God with us. And chapter 8 would conclude with God through the prophet Isaiah informing the people to fear God and to wait on him. Now the pages turn and we get into Isaiah chapter 9 and we see that Isaiah writes to inform the people of a child that will be born. And we read it there at the lighting of the candle just a moment ago, but we must remind ourselves that this child being born would not come as a militant leader as the people thought. They were expecting this warrior that would come in to dethrone the people that oppressed them. No, no, no. God in his gracious love and beautiful example of humility would send his son in the form of an infant babe to be born in a dirty, nasty, disgusting stable. To eventually go from that wooden stable to a wooden cross to die. He came so that people who have walked in darkness would see a great light as we see in verse two of what we read earlier and all things will be his. He will reign for eternity because of what he has done. The government will be upon his shoulders forever and ever and ever. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. And what a wonderful counselor He is to us. Now, we have that prophecy 
And I want to spend our time together for the remaining moments today in the fulfillment of Luke chapter 2. The words are going to be on the screen. We're going to go verse by verse like we always do. But I want to give you the first point if you're taking notes, and that is this. Humility before eternal peace. Humility before eternal peace. Look again at verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2 of Luke. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Rome looked at the entire world, at the known world, the known world, and they said, all of you are subject to our governments. Therefore, we need to tax you. So we need to have a census. So everybody needs to come back to their hometown. Everybody needs to come for the purpose of this census. Now look at verse four through five. And Joseph also went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. That's very important. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Joseph. He's going there. He's from Galilee. He's a member of the lineage of David. This idea and this concept is very profound for us, and I'll talk about it in a moment. But he goes to Bethlehem to be registered as customary procedures go. He's doing what he is told to do. Now, verse 5 tells us that Joseph was betrothed to Mary. He was promised to her. He was engaged to her. So naturally, he's taking her with her for the purpose of this census. And when we see there that Luke indicates that they went to the city of David, it is critical, as I said, because this is where the Messiah would come into play. And it's not something that just happens just because it happened by chance. It happened because of God's sovereign purposes. We know this first off from Isaiah 9, 7, B, the second part of 9, 7, which reads, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's this prophecy, it's this promise that on the throne of King David is where Jesus will sit forever and ever and ever reigning supreme. And it all had to go through Bethlehem. Now, why is that important? How does Jesus fall into this? How does he fall into this line? Well, if you go and I encourage you, a lot of times you can get to a genealogy in the New Testament, especially when you're reading, you're like, man, this is a lot of just names, but they're very, very important names. I want to encourage you to do a little homework. I want you to jot down in your notes, go to Matthew chapter one in this Advent season, and I want you to read through all of those names because what God does through the power of the Holy Spirit, divinely inspiring Matthew to write, he lays out everywhere from the beginning of time until there with Jesus, the entire lineage. And it's very important because in there it says Joseph. And it includes Joseph in that lineage to point to the fact that this son, Mary's son that is being born, earthly father Joseph, is a member of the house of David, a lineage person. And it's very important because that's how Jesus fits into this entire story. Verse 6 reads, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Now, from reading this, we may say, well, the timing of Jesus' birth, it just so happens that it's due to this political reasoning. The the Roman officials, they've called for the census, so it's just by chance that this takes place. 
It just so happens that it's right here at this time that Mary gives birth. The traveling made her come to, to, to have these birth pains and the, the baby arrives at this time. No, 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 no. In God's sovereign, perfect will and plan, this comes to fruition in Bethlehem. Well, what's the big deal about Bethlehem, Brian? Well, the prophet Micah writes in the Old Testament in chapter five, verse two, but you... O Bethlehem Epatratha, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who will be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from the ancient of days. When Micah writes those words, it's pointing to the fact that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, will be born in Bethlehem, little old town of Bethlehem. Little old town of Bethlehem. You're nothing for the clans of Judah. You're just little old Bethlehem. Yet little old Bethlehem would be the place where the Savior of the world would come. All fulfilling scripture. Verse seven reads to us, she gave birth uh, to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. In the end. Here we see the promised Messiah, King Jesus, born in such a humble state. I told you the point is humility before eternal peace. Because here in this moment, this most miraculous event in history, God in the flesh being born, God coming to earth, it's in, as I said a moment ago, that dirty, nasty stable. We can look at all the the children's books that are written, and they're great books. We can look and and picture it in our minds and think, man, this is such a beautiful thing. I have one in my yard that I love. I love the the beautiful white manger scene there, and it's sitting in my yard. And we have that picture in our mind, and we can walk into churches that maybe do gigantic displays, and we're like, man, that is so beautiful. But the reality is that it was dirty. It was nasty. It was a feeding trough that Jesus was wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in. The same area where animals are using the bathroom. It's just disgusting. It's a a nasty place in such a humble way that the Savior of the world would come. It shows the example of what God calls all of us to do, and that is to live lives that are humble, that are not arrogant, that are putting others before ourselves, Jesus himself putting others before himself. I've quoted Ken Hughes in the past. He's a, he's a pastor, he's a, a, a great scholar, and he writes some amazing commentaries. He says in his commentary regarding this point, the son of God was born into the world, not as a prince, but as a pauper. We must never forget that this is where Christianity began and where it always begins, with a sense of need, a graced sense of one's insufficiency, Christ himself setting the example, comes to the needy. He is born in those who are poor in spirit. You know what else is interesting about this verse in verse seven? It's never hit me until this week as I'm preparing this message. And I was listening to a podcast and as as I've read the passage and I see it, Then I hear it again in the podcast. And I'm like, okay, God, you want me to really pay attention to this? And you might not think this is a big deal, but I I just, it's so profound to me. 
Luke writes in this moment that Jesus is wrapped in swaddling cloths. Well, of course he does. He, Mary and Joseph wrap him in those cloths because it's cold. He's a baby. He's a newborn. He needs to stay warm. We all have seen it. We all have done it if you have kids or grandkids. You swaddle the child to keep them warm, do we not? But in this moment, I read this and I see. Hmm. He's wrapped in swaddling cloths at the beginning of Luke's gospel. And after he sacrifices his life on the cross for us at the end of Luke's gospel, he's wrapped in cloths and laid inside of a borrowed tomb. Now we know from his resurrecting from the grave, 33 some odd years after his birth, that those cloths did not stay on him. That he got up from the grave. He's resurrected. It's a beautiful thing for us to see. We need to take a moment. We just need to marvel for a second at the incarnation. The incarnation, the moment where God comes to earth in the form of the baby, Jesus. Lying in a manger where the cattle would eat. All this nastiness that's around them. Literally sitting there and being held in Mary and Joseph's arms. As the savior of the world. Is the very one who Isaiah wrote about. That would be the wonderful counselor. The mighty God. The everlasting father. The prince of peace. This is the same Savior in the form of a baby who, as John writes in the prologue of his gospel, in John 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He is with God in the beginning, and then he comes to earth, born in the stable, wrapped in these garments, and then he goes back to heaven from this weary world after he has conquered the grave. This weary world. He comes from heaven to this weary world full of sin and does so for the purpose of soon dying on the old rugged cross. May we never lose sight of how good and gracious and merciful God is to us. Because on our best days, our best things that we could offer to him are nothing more than filthy, disgusting rags. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that when I gave my life to Jesus, immediately in that moment, the moment after that, that God looked at me, he saw the righteousness of Christ that covered me, nothing of Brian. Because if he looked on me just for what Brian can offer to him, he would say, depart from me because I never knew you. But because I know Jesus and because I've surrendered my life to Jesus and because I've understood this humble form of our Savior that has come and offered eternal peace, I have the eternal peace that he will give to me on the day of completion, but even now in this moment as I grow in my sanctification. 
because I am saved. I am understanding every day this eternal peace that he offers. Second thing, eternal peace is available for all. Eternal peace is available for all. Verse 8, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. Here Luke transitions and tells us of what is now happening away from the manger. In verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. Wouldn't you be worried? (laughs) Wouldn't you be scared in that moment? Like what in the world is happening right now? It's dark. We're out here taking care of our, she- our, of our sheep. We're shepherds. And then, boom, God shows up and shows off. Like, I would have been falling back. Like, it would have scared the tar out of me. Now, in the first century, when a child would have been born, if you had money, you would have hired a herald. You would have gone out. And you would have said, go and tell everybody that our child is born. And you have to think, for God... God, the creator of all things, the the sovereign Lord over this universe, his son has been born. He's going to go tell the governors. He's going to go tell the religious elite. He's going to go tell everybody, hey, guess what? Everything that you've thought about, everything you've heard about, it's happened. My son is born. Yeah, he doesn't do that at all. He doesn't go to the religious elite. He doesn't go to the governor. He doesn't go to anybody well known. No. Instead, this angel shows up to herald the good news to shepherds. To shepherds. Little old shepherds out in a field keeping watch over their flock by night. What does that mean? What does it mean that he shows up just to shepherds? Who were the shepherds? The shepherds were nobodies. The shepherds were outcasts of society. Everybody looked down upon the shepherds. The shepherds stunk because they were doing what any good shepherd would do and they were taking care of their sheep. They smelt like their sheep because they stayed with their sheep. 24-7, they were constantly taking care of them. The religious leaders wanted nothing to do with them and they thought badly of them because they were not in the temple to worship because they were doing what? Taking care of their sheep. And if they maybe had a chance to go in there and be a part of it, they didn't want them in there because they stunk. These are the people that are looked down upon. These are the people that nobody wants to be around. Nobody wanted a thing to do with them. So they just constantly stayed there and took care of their sheep. Don't miss this. God shows up after years and years and years of silence. And he shows up to herald the good news to ordinary shepherds. Shows up to share the good news to people that nobody wanted anything to do with. He shows up to tell them, my son has been born. Go and see. And we know from a little later on in Luke's gospel, after the shepherds go and see what has happened, they marvel and they worship God because he was faithful to keep this promise to them. He showed them what it was. He told them to go. They saw it take place and then they went out 
and told what took place. They marveled at what God had done. The Prince of Peace is born. God chose to proclaim the good news to the ordinary, unwanted, outcast people of society. The people who by most standards had no peace. He comes to tell them the good news that his son has been born. So let me just interject something in there. I don't know what each and every one of you are thinking. I don't know what, I have an idea of what you have going on in your life based on what you tell me. But there may be things that you don't tell me, that you don't share with anyone. You may sit there and you may have horrible thoughts about yourself. You may sit there and constantly nag yourself about things that you don't like about you. But let me tell you something. God loves you. God cares for you. God wants you to know him and have an intimate relationship with him. And the Prince of Peace has come to give you peace. And just as he would come to those ordinary shepherds who probably had no peace, had no desire for anything because all they did was keep their sheep. He has come to offer you peace and eternal rest regardless of what you face. Now let's look quickly at verse 10. We spent an entire sermon series last Christmas going through this verse, so I will not give you an entire sermon series because I know you want to eat. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Let's break that down for a moment. I bring you good news. First, he tells them to fear not, have no fear. The things that you have faced in this life, the things that are, are just wearing you down, the things that make you weary, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news. I bring you good news. I bring you the news of the gospel. Literally translates good news. I bring you good news of great joy. Now, we're going to spend a lot of time next week as I preach about joy. So, Hold tight for that, but just a little snapshot of that. It's great joy because what God said would happen has happened. God spoke through the prophet Isaiah. God spoke through the prophet Micah. God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah. God spoke continually over and over and over again. God spoke in the garden to Eve that one day her seed would trample Satan's head. God spoke, God has delivered. Here in this moment, it is great joy. Let's tie in the Isaiah passage from earlier. 9, 6 reads, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The son that has been given is Christ Jesus, born in Bethlehem. The government is going to be upon his shoulder. At last, there will be one supreme, eternal person ruling over and over and over. Jesus himself even said it after he died and resurrected before he went to heaven. All authority has been given on heaven and earth to me. He is the wonderful counselor. 
This comes from the translation of wondrous signs and the giving of wise counsel, wise advice. Jesus would come, as we know through the Gospels, to do all of these miraculous signs, all of these miraculous wonders. And he would give so much wisdom in his teachings. And through the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells us, God the Spirit indwells us and he leads us and he guides us. He is the mighty God. Here Jesus is referred to as God, the God-man, even as a child. He is God the Son born into this world and he is divine being God. And he is mighty as a warrior. We know from scripture that when the day comes of Christ's return, he's coming back and he's not gonna be this nice little humble Lord Jesus that's come to just hang out with us and talk. No, he's coming as a warrior to conquer sin and death for eternity. He's coming as a warrior on his sword, on his horse, coming down with the sword out of his mouth, ready to fight and put Satan in the pit forever. He is the mighty God, and he is the everlasting Father. Some translations that you may have, they, they may say eternal Father. Jesus would play as this fatherly figure to his followers, to us, just as maybe a king would do. But listen to this. Warren Wearsby in his commentary states it this way. He describes the section of of what we read here of being translated the father of eternity. It is because of what he has done, conquering the grave and dying in our place, defeating sin and death and resurrecting to new life on the third day that he offers eternal life to us. He is the father of eternity. And lastly, for today's point, He is the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He is the one who brings peace between man and God because of his finished work on the cross. He is the one who can and will bring peace to your weary soul. Luke 2.10 again, I'll just read it one last time. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. That will be for all people. That's why this point is eternal peace is available for all. We know from Luke's writings that he includes Gentile believers in being who Christ came for. In this context, we might read it and we may assume that this is being said just for the nation of Israel. No, it's for every man, woman, and child who would repent and believe. Just a little after this passage, as Mary and Joseph would follow the customary ways of presenting Jesus in the temple, there was Simeon. Simeon was a devout man of God who loved God and had the Holy Spirit and he was promised by God that he would not see death until he saw the Lord's Christ. And so the moment that Mary and Joseph come in, they see Simeon. Simeon busts out with this song of praise to God. And in that, he says this from Luke 2.32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, 
Israel. Simeon proclaims that, yes, this is for Israel, but also it's a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? It's anybody at that time that was not part of the nation of Israel. It was the nation of Rome. And as they continue forth on the Great Commission, when Jesus tells them to go, that going includes us. We are part of the people down the line, century after century, year after year, that would fall into that. You and I. Jesus' coming is for all who would repent and believe. It is with this revelation of Jesus that we can truly find peace. Jesus, as the Prince of Peace, provides peace to all who would repent and believe. His finished work on the cross eternally establishes the death of pain and sickness and eternal death for anyone who would repent and believe. Lastly, verses 11 and 12 read, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The angel declares to them the good news, tells them, hey, guess what? I'm gonna help you out. There's a sign for you. You'll see it. Then lastly, and this is a very quick point, eternal peace ignites praise. Eternal peace ignites praise, 13 and 14. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest and on the earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. We see here that the angels appear to do what all believers and all creation must do. Praise the one in whom created us. Here this angel comes and it says that there was a multitude. That doesn't mean that he brought 10 of his buddies with him. No, it means that the sky went from darkness to complete light. Kent Hughes, I read a few moments ago, he said in his commentary that you can just go ahead and picture it in your mind. Horizon to horizon, filled with angels, filled with a multitude, proclaiming the good news that the Savior of the world has come. A multitude praising God. We're talking thousands upon thousands. We're talking all of that because the Savior has come. You see, there's an eternal response that is ignited when a created person of God comes to realize their sin and their shame and that they are separated from God. And when that happens, the moment where God saves a person's life, they are radically transformed by the power of the gospel. What does it do? It causes you to want to praise. It causes you to want to give glory to God for what he has done. And here in this moment, the created beings, the angels are there and they are proclaiming glory in the highest on the earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. There is a promise in that declaration. There is a promise 
An eternal peace is coming because there's any promised eternal life through Christ Jesus. In thinking through this and reflecting on this, I wanted to leave you with something to, to take and chew on to apply to your daily life. You see, there's the eternal peace that is promised to us through Christ when you are saved. When you have surrendered your life to Jesus, you are saved and you have the eternal promise of peace with God. And that doesn't just kick in whenever you die and you're in the presence of God. No, it's something that you experience here on this side of heaven. Well, Brian, you don't understand. I don't have peace in my life right now. I have this going on that I'm extremely worried about. I have this diagnosis. I have this going on. I've just lost this loved one. I have no peace. And I would tell you, brother, and I would tell you, sister, I would tell you, anybody listening, you need to run to the one who offers the peace to you. Because he has established it, he has given it to you, and he is there waiting on you. He never leaves you, he never forsakes you. He says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. That doesn't mean that you just sit down and you sleep. No, it means that in your turmoil and you're wrestling with things and the things that are just weary and worrying you, that depress you, whatever it may be, in those things, he gives you rest. He says through Paul's writing, Philippians 4, 6-7, do not be anxious or worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Run to him. Because he will never leave you. He will give you peace. He will give you rest. You might say, well, Brian, I've tried that. I didn't get it. It's not a quick fix. You have to go to him continually. You have to commune with him. You have to spend time with him. You have to let him be a wonderful counselor. You have to let him be the prince of peace. You have to stop fixating your eyes on this and fix your eyes on him. One last passage. And it's the promise of what is to come. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That is what is coming. 
That is what each and every one of us within the sound of my voice who know Jesus Christ as Lord, that is what you have to look forward to. That is what our hope is in. But while we're still here, while we still wait, he is still our Prince of Peace. He is still offering that peace to you right now. I'm going to conclude with this. I just want to ask you a question. Do you have peace? Do you have peace? If your answer is yes, I I feel like I am at peace. I feel like I have peace in my life. I say to you, I praise God for that. If you do not have peace, I want to encourage you to go to the one who will supply the peace that surpasses all understanding. I want you to go to the one who is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father and the prince of peace who willingly died a death that you and I should have died because of our sin. Before we come up, the, the band comes up to sing. I want to just have quiet reflection as we always do. Just to stop and reflect on what God is maybe saying to you in this moment. I'll be available to you if you need prayer. Uh, if you don't want to do it right now, we can talk afterwards. Whatever you may do, you need to call me later in the week. I, I'm here for you. But I want you to know, don't just let this go by. If you're struggling with something of a lack of peace or something in your life, it could very well be because... You don't know the Lord. I I don't know. But what I do know is this. He is who he says he is. And he provides the peace for our weary souls. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. You are so good, Father. We are so grateful for who you are. We are so grateful for the love that you have shown to us through Christ Jesus, our Lord. We thank you, God, the spirit that you indwell us. that you guide us and direct us, that you reveal the truths of your word to us. We are grateful for what you have provided to us. Father, I pray and I ask, God, that in the midst of these next few moments, Lord, if there are any in this place or listening online that are having just a lack of peace, whether it be because they are distracted by things even though they know you or they don't know you at all, whatever it may be, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would make it clear what you are speaking to them. You would make it clear to what you are directing them to do. 
Lord, I beg you to have your way in us, oh God, I pray. Lord, we love you and we bless you in the strong name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen.